you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 42 and 43. So we're going to do two Psalms this morning, but don't worry, the message won't be twice as long. But I'm going to read these uh, Psalms out loud to you, and then we'll seek the Lord for help. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of his presence. O oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And his song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my case against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For you are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. And upon the lyre, I shall praise you, O God, my God. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. Let's ask the Lord for help this morning. Lord God Almighty, our strong Creator, Elohim, Lord, we come before you this morning and 
and hopes, Lord, that, Father, that you would minister to our hearts and our souls, Lord. We thank you so much, Father, for the wonderful privilege, Lord, of gathering together as a people, a people who are trusting in the work of Christ on their behalf, the church, Lord, your blood-bought people, Lord, your bride, in whom, Lord, we are betrothed to you, the ones in which, Father, you have poured your Spirit out upon and made his dwelling within us, Lord, that by the Spirit of God we cry out that you indeed are our Father and that we are your children. Lord, we thank you for the mercy, the grace of the gospel of your Son. We, say, we thank you, Lord, for your kindness and uh, the wonderful expressions of your love and grace, Lord, that you delivered your own Son over to be judged and punished for our sin in our place so that we could have forgiveness of sins that we could be holy and fully forever reconciled to you. Even the very righteousness of your Son, Lord, you've given to us as a gift, that one day we will stand before you, Lord, and glorify your holy name. And Lord, we know that we live in a fallen and broken world, a world that is stained and dangerous, Lord, a world that is dark, a world... Lord, that has fallen, and oftentimes we find ourselves in despair and sorrow. Lord, I ask this morning that these two psalms, Lord, would help to shed light, and Father, help to teach us how, Lord, to manage our time in this fallen world and through even the darkest valleys, Lord, so that we would have hope in you. Lord, that we would rest in you and find our joy in you. We ask for your help, Lord, in your name. Amen. Depression. There are so many opinions related to the topic of depression. And some of us struggle with it regularly. Some have struggled with it in the past. Some even, maybe currently this morning, are are dealing with depression. And I've spent many, many years, as Josh mentioned, uh, the BCI class coming up and teaching biblical counseling and working in the field of biblical counseling. Over two decades of my life, I've uh, dedicated to helping people work through very difficult circumstances and emotional difficulties, loss, anxiety, and certainly depression. And I do believe that these two psalms this morning will be a help to us. Open up our eyes to see this subject from a biblical perspective and give us hope that there is a way through those periods of life that are most dark, most difficult, most disparaging. We find ourselves in despair. This is very common. It's certainly common outside of the body of Christ, but it's also something that people within the body of Christ have dealt with. And so we want to respect this and understand it and seek the Lord. And so we're going to look at these two 
psalms together. I want to say that I didn't anticipate doing two psalms this week. I started out thinking I'm just going to do Psalm 42, and then I realized quickly in my study that they're connected. And they're connected by a common refrain, even as I read, maybe you noticed that it was three times that we'll see this refrain in in verse 5, 11 of 42, and then also in verse 5 of 43. But before we get there, there's some things that I just want to kind of give a little bit of a background to. First of all, this is not a psalm of David. So this is a little different for us. Uh, David has written uh, most of the psalms. Uh, But this is actually a psalm, as we see, it's ascribed to the sons of Korah. It's a masculine of the sons of Korah. And you may be asking, well, who are these sons of Korah? Well, they actually have ten other psalms. If you count Psalm 43, that's eleven total. Um, But these were the men, if you look back into Chronicles, chapter 6 in Chronicles, where uh, David, uh, these were Levites that David had put in charge of serving in song in the house of the Lord when the ark rested there. So predominantly their, their role was to lead in music and song. And, and you see even uh, in the later verses of, of Psalm chapter 43 and verse 4, he says, Upon the lyre I shall praise you. So this is, uh, these were men who were musicians, and they loved to sing. And they loved to sing and worship in the house of the Lord. But we also notice right away that they are separated from the people of God, and they're separated from the house of the Lord. They're separated. And most likely they're in exile. We know that they are being oppressed, as we read through, by a wicked nation that are taunting them. But in one of the most beautiful verses of all of Scripture, Dale mentioned it, I read it, in verse 1 and 2, we see this beautiful simile that they describe the condition of their heart, a heart of longing for the Lord. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. Just exceptional. And we think about their longing for the Lord and how they sought Him. And what a beautiful thought that their hearts would be longing for the Lord in such a way. C.S. Lewis called that an appetite for God. They had a great appetite for the Lord. They longed for Him. And I think that as we read that, I, I believe that all of us would hope to see that longing, that level of longing in our own hearts. As a deer pants for the water brooks. I've never seen a deer panting before. But I'm imagining that he is parched. I'm imagining that he is wandering and looking for water. And he wants to be refreshed. The psalm writer here sees the Lord as the one who will refresh his soul and his heart and his mind. But as much as this is a, a beautiful expression of their desire and longing for the Lord, I think it also reveals the depths of despair that this psalm writer is experiencing. He's panting for God. He's panting for the Lord. 
increasing in intensity. He's longing for God, for the living God, and even to see the face of God. And we'll hear the word countenance, the countenance of God. And that describes the, the appearance, right? When you look in the mirror, or if you look in somebody's face, you see their countenance. And sometimes our face tells a story. Sometimes our, our face is saying something different than our, our lips are saying. If you've ever seen a little one who is in despair or hurt or sad, maybe you say, oh, oh look at that face. Look at that face. Well, he desires to see the face of, of the Lord. And he's longing for him. Another observation that I made as I was studying this week is that there's a series of questions that are taking place. There's a lot of question marks in this psalm. He asks of God. In 42.9 and 43.2, Why have you forgotten me? He's asking the Lord, Why have you forgotten me? And even, Why have you rejected me? So it's very clear that he is feeling estranged by the Lord. Forgotten. Rejected. And I think we can all attest to the heaviness of feeling forgotten. Rejected. Maybe somebody forgot your birthday. It's a sad thing to be rejected and forgotten. Yet, the Lord did not forget him. But he's describing his experience and what he is emotionally experiencing through these questions. His enemies also ask him several questions in a taunting way, in a taunting fashion, a provoking way. Chapter 42, 3 and 10, they say, Where is your God? Where is your God? That is to say, where is he? I mean, why isn't He delivering you? You boast about this great God, and yet, where is He? And this is producing anguish in Him, and ultimately maybe stemming to the questions, leading Him to ask these questions of God. Why have you forgotten Me? Why have you rejected Me? He also asks Himself a series of questions. When shall I appear before God? He asks And then some very important questions. He asks of himself, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? So I want you to keep an eye on those questions as you read through these two Psalms. Notice that he is depressed, he's in despair, he's not eating. As a matter of fact, he says that. His tears are his food day and night. If you've ever been, uh, if you ever wrestled with depression, if you've ever been down and out in despair, maybe you notice that there's a change in your patterns of eating. Some people have no appetite; they have no palate for food at all. Others begin to seek after food so that they can find some comfort in this life. But it's very clear that he is not eating. And his only meals are the tears that are rolling down his cheeks and trickling into his mouth. He's weeping day and night. This is a heavy man experiencing heaviness and despair. 
a very, very difficult circumstance, a noble circumstance that is bringing these heavy feelings of depression upon him, yet he is struggling. He says he pours out his soul within him. He pours out his soul. And this is another picture of a man who is in great despair. He is pouring himself out. He is pouring out his soul to the Lord. He is desperate for help. He is in need. And he's remembering these times when he was with the people of God. And he was leading them in procession. The throng kind of communicates a crowd of people, a tightly packed crowd of people that are in procession to the house of the Lord to worship, to sing. And what a joyous occasion. A beautiful festival. You think of a festival, you think of a, not only the, the gathering itself and, and what it means, but also the collective unity of mind that together in maybe these pilgrimage feast days, they're, they're traveling to Jerusalem and they are worshiping the Lord and collectively all in the same mind rejoicing. And he's longing for that time, but he cannot do it. Because he is being held captive by a wicked nation. He identifies his soul as being in despair within him. But notice in verse 7 that he's looking to the Lord. And that ultimately he is trusting that God is in control and sovereign. And he's attributing his sufferings and afflictions as being that of being administered by God. As he says, deep calls to deep. The sound of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. He's being reviled. His adversaries are continually taunting him day and night day and night and his circumstances are not changing and he is longing to be with the people of God he describes these words of his enemies as shattering his bones they are cutting him deep and he is feeling overwhelmed in his sorrow. He is no longer able again to be with the people of God. And I think it's, it's important, as I said, I mean, this despair that he is experiencing is very noble. I mean, he is unable to be with the people of God. And I think as I read this, I, I want that same level of desire to be with God, with the people of God. I think back just... About a year, right? When all of the COVID-19 virus was breaking out and our government is trying to respond to it and we're trying to get a handle on it. And for weeks and weeks, many churches were not meeting. And that was a very difficult time for many people. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the way that we worked through that time and that our doors never shut. This man is broken because he longs to be with the people of God. 
But what is very clear is that he is depressed, disdained, and in despair. He's weak. He's weeping. He is in woe. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever experienced the weightiness and the heaviness of despair in this life that is accompanied oftentimes with feelings of utter hopelessness? That's one thing that is certainly connected to depression is this sense of hopelessness, this deep darkness that moves you to kind of lose interest in the normal things of life, even things that you used to enjoy, that you used to think about, that you used to long for. And all of a sudden, you're experiencing such heaviness that you are broken and you're shattered and there's no joy. I remember many, many years ago, I was 19 and... Uh, My father passed away. And I remember my mother being in this state of depression. Once she told me, she said, Chris, I I just don't enjoy anything anymore. It was so hard to hear that. Especially from someone that had such joy. But there it was. I can assure you that I have had experiences of depression in my own life. There have been times in my life where just going through such great trial and difficulty, and I can understand why the psalm writer says, as the deer pants for the water brooks, my soul pants for you. I know that I'm not the only one. Maybe that uh, comes as a, a, a bit of a surprise to you. Pastor Chris, you've felt that heavy burden of despair and depression. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, we've all experienced times of difficulty and trial, and sometimes deep despair, where our life and our circumstances are, are so difficult and don't seem like change is ever going to take place. Maybe the thing that we enjoyed most is no longer there, no longer available. Loss does that. This past year, it's been about a year since my mother passed, and life is different. It's just not the same. There's a, a new normal part way of life for me, for my sisters and my brother and many. If you've lost someone, life is hard. It's difficult. Those feelings, those joys that you had around that person, I I can't experience that right now. I can't call her on the phone to talk to her. I mean, there's all sorts of different ways that we find ourselves in despair. Well, if you were ever tempted to believe that Christians are somehow immune to feelings of depression and brokenness... And my hope is that these two psalms will change your mind, put you in the right perspective, so that if you are experiencing this heaviness of despair or depression at times as a follower of Jesus Christ, that you're not sitting there saying, am I even a Christian? How could I feel this if I'm a Christian? 
I want to comfort you in your weakest hour as we read these psalms that you would understand you're not alone. You're not alone. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, your sufferings in this life are being accomplished by your brethren here in this life along with you. We suffer together. We suffer at various different times. I'm thankful that we all don't suffer at the same time with this heaviness. We would be completely a wreck. But we can build one another up. And oftentimes we get through that valley of the shadow of death to the other side and then we look back and we can lend a hand to bring others along with us. As we look at the basic structure, I'd like to just kind of point you to uh, some of the basic structure of these two psalms. We're going to see four times of lamenting that end in hope. And hope is such a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful word, especially as it's used in Scripture. The first lament we see in the very opening of Psalm 42, in 1 through 4, As again, the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pant for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember. And I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. He is remembering that sweet time of worship with the people of God when He was with the people in the temple, in the house of God. And yet He is pouring out His soul. These are memories that are even provoking pain in Him because He's missing those times and missing the people of God and missing the fellowship and missing that presence of God. But look at verse 5. He says, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. So we have a time of lament and then a time of hope. He's beginning to wrestle through it. But he is in despair nonetheless. In verses 6 through 8, we see the second period of lamenting that end in hope. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Here we see the psalmist visiting the promised land in his memories as it's symbolized with references to the land of Jordan, the high mountain ranges, even the Jordan River. He says, Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. He is feeling crushed. But then it ends in hope. Look at verse 8. The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime and His song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. I mean, this man is stretched 
and he is feeling crushed, but he is not utterly destroyed because his mind will not allow him to forget the promises of God. And he's reminded of the loving kindness of God, the covenant love of God, this committed love that is forever love, that will never be broken, that we can never be separated from. And he is reminding himself of these things, and it's moving to a place of hope, from lament to hope. Third, in verses 9 through 11, a third lament. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Notice here, even amidst the oppression of his enemies who are reviling him over and over and over and over all day long, he refers to God as his rock. God is my rock. He is the immovable God. And He is His rock. And He's reminding Himself of that. In verse 10 He says, As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? And then here is that refrain. Again, verse 11. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. He is longing for the Lord. And he goes again from lament and despair to hope as he looks at Him and as he thinks about Him. The final lament that ends in praise is the entirety of Psalm chapter 43. He says, Vindicate me, O God, and plead my case against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. What is he doing? He looks at Elohim, his strong creator, and he looks to him for deliverance and he pleads with him, and he places his trust in the God who saves. And that's one of the most beautiful patterns of Scripture. As you read through Scripture, he is saving his people over and over again from very difficult and dangerous circumstances. And he's looking to him, and he asks to vindicate him. And so this tells me that It doesn't appear that he is suffering because of his own sin. Sometimes we suffer in circumstances and difficulties and they just come upon us. And here this man is in exile and here this man is looking to the Lord and asking for vindication. In verse 2, For you are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? He says, Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my exceeding joy. And upon the lyre, I shall praise you 
O God, my God. And finally, we see again this refrain. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. This man is in utter despair, yet he continues to wrestle with the Lord. He continues to seek the Lord. He pleads before Him for help, for vindication. He wants to be with the people of God. When we look at these three refrains, this refrain that is repeated three times throughout these two psalms, I think what we see is we see the way through it. We see the way through it. That there is a path through these heavy periods of darkness and depression and despair. And I want to learn from this refrain. What can we do? What do you do when you are feeling depressed? Well, there's only two points of application. Just two points. The first is this. Stop listening to yourself. (laughs) Stop listening to yourself. Right? At some point, you must get up. At some point, you have to stop wallowing in it. At some point, you have to say enough is enough. I want you to think of the commands of Scripture, the very frequent commands of Scripture to take hold of your thought life. Okay, look at 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. For we are destroying, notice, speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Listen. We have to stop listening to ourselves wallowing in our despair. You ever heard, misery loves company? Here we see that taking inventory over our thoughts is actually a spiritual, spiritual tactic of war. We're to take our thoughts captive. Here's the thing, we're not to be taken captive by our thoughts. And for some of you, that's your biggest problem. That's your biggest problem. You're being taken captive by your own thoughts. You're being held prisoner by them. They have no regard for you. No regard for God. No regard for truth. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes a book called Spiritual Depression. I highly recommend it. Just a wonderful book, full of insight and wisdom. I want to read a quote from that. 
He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? That is such a life changer. Right? I mean, we have to come to the understanding that some thoughts are just not beneficial. Some ways of thinking are not permitted to be in our minds and in our hearts. We have to take them captive to obedience to truth, to obedience to Christ. And if we respond passively, we'll be slain by our own thinking. We have to take action. We have to take action. I mean, this is what we see in the psalm. The, the writer is doing this very thing in the refrain. He stops listening and he begins to speak. And he questions himself. He's analyzing himself, even correcting himself. All of this is done by looking at the countenance of God. He knows the Lord. And he is subjecting his thinking to God Almighty, the strong Creator, the promises of God, and who He is. Psalm 42.5, the first time we see this refrain, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? This is the point where everything begins to shift from lament to hope. From hope to praise, and from praise to joy. If you're going to fight the heaviness of depression, then you must learn to handle yourself. Again, I want to read another quote from spiritual depression, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, The essence of this matter is to understand that this self of ours, this other man within us, has got to be handled. Do not listen to him. Turn on him. Speak to him. Condemn him. Unbraid him. Exhort him. Encourage him. Remind him of what you know instead of listening placidly to him and allowing him to drag you down and depress you. For that is what he will do. He will always do if you allow Him to be in control. Can you identify with this? Anybody? (laughs) Is it just me? I mean, how many of you can trace your moments of despair and deepest depression back to a time when you were not handling yourself well at all? I mean, think about it. Like a man trying to walk a dog who is untrained on a leash. You ever see that? The dogs walk in the man, right? You need to take that leash and learn how to handle yourself. How to handle your thoughts. What are you saying to yourself, right? So the first point of application is what? Stop listening to yourself. Second, start speaking to yourself. Psalm 42.11 Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him the help of my countenance and my God. 
One more quote from the doctor. You must turn on yourself, unbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, Hope thou in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, and what God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged Himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note. Ready? Defy yourself, and defy other people, and defy the devil, and the whole world, and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, who is also the health of my countenance and my God. Stop listening. Start speaking. Don't follow your heart. Lead your heart. Take inventory of your thinking. Why are are you feeling the way that you're feeling? What have you been thinking? What have you been thinking? Where does your mind drift to? What have you been what is the the focal point of your thinking and imagining? I mean your mind is so incredibly vivid and powerful to imagine things and oftentimes we create the worst scenarios possible. And it's as if that's already taken place. We need to speak to ourself and not allow ourselves, that old man, right, to drag us down into the pits of despair and hopelessness. There are many, many, many people who have suffered so greatly with despair and depression and they begin to lose interest in life and living and they have ended their own life on this earth. And that is a tragedy. It's such a tragic thing. And it does not just happen to adults, young people. There are many teenagers and young people who have ended their life because of their own thinking and their own depression. My friends, we have got to change this. Notice here that our psalmist, right, is now boldly ordering his own heart to place his hope in God. Hope in God, he says. He is resolving in his own soul that he will praise God despite his circumstances. Despite the fact that his circumstances are not changing, he has resolved, I shall yet Praise Him. He will praise the living God in His state of difficulty. And we have to make that same resolution. God is no less worthy of praise when things are not going the way we desire for them to go in our life. He is holy and good and perfect. Hope is an amazing and powerful agent for change, isn't it? Certainly in the human heart. How often have we 
experienced times of such great distress that we were ready to throw in the towel. But once our minds began to embrace hopelessness, all of a sudden it's a slippery slope. I mean, we often face difficult times, but when we begin to have thoughts of hopelessness, it's as if we have drifted from the shore on the river Niagara and we are just now floating toward the falls. But how many of you this morning are willing, like the sons of Korah, to praise God amidst your suffering and say to yourself, hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him. We must place all of our trust in Him. We have to put all of our hope in our faithful Creator, even when it appears that change is nowhere in sight. And we see this in Scripture over and over again. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 7-10 through 10 is, a, is a very good example of this. The Apostle Paul. He says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord, the Lord three times that it might leave me. And He has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. What was the answer from heaven about the thorn in His flesh that He implored the Lord three times about? The answer from heaven is it's there for your good. How did he respond? Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. His hope is in the Lord. His trust is in the Lord. He knows that the Lord is seeking the best good for him and that he is in control. It didn't stop him from begging and asking. But when the Lord responded, he responded with hope and even gladness and joy. He placed his hope in the living God and his sorrow turned to gladness. In like fashion to our psalmist this morning, Paul also cried to the Lord in his distresses and weaknesses only to find hope in the Lord and joy. And there's another time in Scripture where a man is seen in an overwhelming state of sorrow like our psalm writer like Paul even, where the man is experiencing such exceeding anguish of heart that he is to the point of death. And he prays three times to God the Father. You may have guessed who that man of sorrows was. It was the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 36, 
Then Jesus came with them to the place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little bit beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Here we see the Lord Jesus. He would repeat that prayer two more times. He was so distressed that he was sweating drops of blood. And yet, the answer from heaven was very clear. The cup of God's wrath for sin, the sin of man, would not pass from Him. He would go on to bear the full weight of sin and drink from the foaming cup of the Father's wrath in the place of ruined sinners like you and like me. This is very interesting, the words that he uses in verse 38. As a matter of fact, D.A. Carson says that the words that Jesus speaks to his disciples in verse 38, where he says, My soul is deeply grieved, are almost a direct quotation from the refrain of Psalm 42 and 43. Could it be? that Jesus, the Son of God, had these psalms and this refrain in mind in the Garden of Gethsemane when He was agonizing to the point of death over the wrath of God, the very wrath of the Father that would soon be poured out upon Him? My friends, after Jesus prayed in the Garden... And he experienced so much anguish over the wrath of God. He was no longer agonizing over the cross. But rather, he was resolved to endure it. He was steadfast. He was strengthened by the Father and was no longer under the unbearable burden of what was to come. The disposition of his heart was no longer anguish, but hope and even joy. Listen to the words of Hebrews 12, 1-3. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him who has endured such hostility by sinners against Himself, so that you will no longer grow weary and lose heart. Wow. I think of our psalm writer 
who was also enduring such hostility against himself, who cried out with this refrain three times, who was pouring out his soul before God, who sought the help of the Almighty, that his despair and lamenting turned to hope as he looked at the countenance of his heavenly Father's face. And he would say, I shall yet praise him for the help of my countenance and my God. Willem Van Gemmeren, another commentator, writes, Hope leads the psalmist away from despair. His hope is in God. He says, My Savior and my God. Hope, in essence, is waiting for God to act. Hope is focused on the glorious acts of salvation and victory of which the law, the historical writings, and the prophets speak. Hope longs for the praise of God for the acts of salvation. Hope says, You are my God in anticipation of the fulfillment of the promises even when help is afar off. What a helpful quote. What a helpful statement. My question for you this morning is, where is your hope this morning? If you are down in the dumps today, or if that day is not today, but you know at some point Somewhere on the horizon, you may be challenged to battle with thoughts of despair and depression. Stop listening to yourself. Start speaking to yourself. Take hold of yourself. And say with the psalmist, Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him for the help of my countenance and my God. Amen. Let's thank the Lord and pray. Lord, we come before you this morning and we give you thanks and praise, Lord. We thank you that we are not alone in our sufferings, Lord. The sons of Korah, the Apostle Paul, the Lord Jesus Himself have also struggled and suffered, Lord, with great despair And yet, Lord, You show us the the way through, Lord. It is the way to You. It is the man who places his hope upon You, who encourages himself in the Lord, that will stand in his darkest time, in his darkest hour. Lord, knowing that You indeed are with him in the valley of the shadow of death, and that he does not need to fear. Lord, I pray for any in our midst this morning who are particularly suffering with depression. Lord, I pray that You would draw them to You. Help their minds to be fixated upon You, their God, their Savior. Lord, if there are any here in our midst this morning who have yet to come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus, I I pray, Father, that they would lay hold of the work of Christ, as we read, Lord, that He bore the very wrath of God in our place. 
because you made him who knew no sin to be sin for us on our behalf, that we would become the righteousness of God through him. Lord, we ask these things of you in your name. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to stand, we're going to close by singing, Yet not I, but through Christ in me.